You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. And welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee, and with me today as my special guest is Deandra Grant. And Deandra is, I don't know, the most qualified person I probably know. She's the executive director of the DUI Defense Lawyers Association, which she founded. Uh, she is also uh, has a, a graduate degree in forensic toxicology and a master's degree in pharmaceutical science and is a lawyer scientist and uh, a very, very skilled trial lawyer. Welcome, Deandra. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I hope I didn't miss too many of your qualifications. <laughs> um, I invited you on the podcast today to talk about something that you're dealing with in one of your cases, which is um, auto brewery syndrome. Yes, it is um, something that you're seeing more and more pop up in news stories. I think that people have a lot of interest in it, and I have a pending case right now where it's an issue, and so I've been having to really learn a lot about auto brewery. So walk me through what it's like, because I think a lot of people don't really understand this as, like, if they're not lawyers, what it's like to learn about something that could potentially give not just one client... A, a complete exoneration in their case, but also potentially, you know, hundreds or even thousands of other clients that you've dealt with over the course of your career. What's that like? Well, it's interesting. Um, I've, I've been practicing law for around 25 years now, and I have never had any experience with auto brewery. Um, I have been to one seminar where it was discussed, so I was somewhat familiar with the idea um, but now that I've had to really learn it to get ready for this trial, I'm realizing that there may be a lot of people that I have encountered as clients over the years who potentially had this syndrome and I did not know it and they didn't know it. And so I'm certainly going to be more aware moving forward of symptoms to look for with clients. So what is auto brewery syndrome? Auto brewery uh, is basically gut fermentation syndrome. It is when ethanol is produced through fermentation that goes on in your GI tract due to fungus or bacteria. Um, symptoms can include, um, you know, people that have a lot of tiredness, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, um, a lot of really common issues that people will complain of or have experiences with could potentially be traced back to auto brewery syndrome. And so if you have auto brewery syndrome, do you get drunk on the ethanol that's produced inside your body? It depends on where it's produced in the body. Um, you can have situations where the person is acting extremely intoxicated because they are intoxicated but it's not from alcohol they drank, it's from alcohol their body produced, or it could uh, end up in your urinary tract or your kidneys where it's there, the ethanol's there, but it's not having any effect on your central nervous system. And in those circumstances, I assume if they were to do a test, the ethanol would show up. 
If they did a urine test, then they there was a recent case where uh, someone was being denied a transplant due to the fact they kept finding high levels of ethanol in their urine, and it turned out that they were producing urine in their kidneys. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. And do you know anything about, like, the prevalence of this in the population, or...? We don't know the prevalence because there are not enough doctors who are aware of the signs or know how to conduct a protocol to diagnose it. And it's, it's becoming a situation where more and more peer-reviewed scientific articles are being published. It's starting to become a little bit more well-known. And so until doctors really start routinely looking for it with appropriate patients, I don't think we're going to have any idea how many people have it. So it could be affecting like a huge percentage of the population potentially. A potentially a good chunk of people could have this and they could have it their entire life and not know it. I think I heard of a case, um, somebody was telling me about a case of, of somebody who, who was a child who had it. Yes, um, it, it's been diagnosed in children and, and obviously they were not individuals that were drinking alcohol and so that is... Um, something that they have to be aware of. There are certain underlying medical conditions that can actually be recognized as potentially causing this type of situation to happen. People who have had, um, have what's called short bowel syndrome, which means part of their intestines have been removed mm -hmm. due to surgeries and, and disease, they might have it. People that have intestinal bacterial overgrowth uh, yeast infections, things of that nature. And there are certain kinds of yeast that are particularly associated with ABS that if they're a simple test to see if it's in, present in the person's body might help towards a diagnosis. And if you get diagnosed with this and you have one that's caused by you know, a detectable yeast or bacteria, is it something that's easy to treat then? Well, if it's a fungus, they can put you on an antifungal medication to try to get rid of that. Um, a lot of times they're looking for the what is causing it, causing episodes, which and it could be triggered by just really high carbohydrate diets, um, a lot of sugar in your diet. It can really vary, but um, once they can identify what's triggering it, certainly a person could change their diet and, and that may take care of the problem. If it's a fungus, um, then they're gonna have to deal with that issue as well. Diet alone may not make a difference. Right, and of course, if you if you do have something that's triggered by yeast and you're brewing yeast and you feed it sugar, it's gonna create ethanol. <laughs> that's right. how we make booze. <laughs> I mean, they can do um, drug therapy, they can do diet therapy, there are supplements they could give the patient. I think the, the issue is not the treatment, it's the recognizing the signs and figuring out that that's what the person has. So how does this translate though to DUI cases? Because you said you can test for it in the urine, but most people who get a DUI are not providing a urine sample, they're providing breath or blood. Right. Um, if you have someone who has been arrested for driving under the influence or DWI case and you have reason to believe that that might be the reason they were exhibiting those behaviors, they can certainly be um, sent to a doctor for diagnosis and then it becomes a legal question. Um, was their act voluntary? If you don't you know, intend to be intoxicated or mm -hmm. you're not drinking alcohol but your body produces it, you're not really 
being involved in a voluntary act of drinking that got you intoxicated, so there, there are legal implications to that. Is it detectable in breath tests if it's occurring in the upper GI tract, the stomach, and the intestines? Or Certainly, if you take a breath, well, the alcohol's there, so if you take a breath test or a blood test, yeah, it's, it's registering, just like if you'd been you know, out pounding some beers. And do people who are experiencing this exhibit symptoms consistent with intoxication as a result of it? Yes, as long as it's not like in your kidneys or something, then they are acting intoxicated because they are intoxicated. And the in really interesting thing about auto brewery is that you get intoxicated really fast. I mean, you can go from no alcohol in your system to a super high blood alcohol concentration in a very short period of time. And is that in part because of the way that you're essentially ingesting the alcohol from the place that the alcohol is made? It's because it's producing it so fast. It so very fast, it'll go into your system, and that's because it's essentially being created right where it's being absorbed. It's being, yes, it's being created where it is absorbed, so in the absorption is rapid. So you get just a large amount of ethanol that goes into the system very, very quickly, which is why you'll have a story someone's telling you that they were, you know, at a party and they were having dinner and maybe they ate a, a very large, you know, a lot of potatoes or a lot of carbohydrates, and then 20 minutes later, they're extremely intoxicated. But all the witnesses that saw them said that they were not intoxicated at all, you know, 20 minutes prior, and that's very common in auto brewery. So would that be sort of the equivalent of people who pound back like a Mickey of vodka and they don't feel anything and then 20 minutes later they're totally hammered? That can happen. It depends on obviously other factors like how much alcohol, I mean, excuse me, how much food is in your stomach, how fast that alcohol is going to get to your bloodstream. But even in that situation, um, you're only going to reach a certain peak alcohol concentration, but with auto brewery, you will reach an alcohol concentration that would be equivalent to a tremendous amount of booze you would have had to have consumed. And can that kill people? Because obviously you can die of alcohol poisoning. You know, I just started my research on this. I've, been, I've got a whole pile of uh, peer-reviewed articles I'm going through right now. I have not found anyone that's actually died of it, but you know, to be quite Frank, there could have been people dying of this over the years and no one's looking for it. So I don't know that there's even an answer to that question, but I know some of the blood alcohol concentrations I've seen in the studies are so high that my goodness, I, I mean, it definitely could kill somebody. You brought a book. Tell mm -hmm. us about the book, because this looks fascinating. Yes, it's called My Gut Makes Alcohol. It's by Barbara Cordell. She is one of the leading experts on this topic in the world. Um, she is routinely consulted um, concerning, you know, medical treatment, doctor's caller, lawyer's caller. Um, she testifies as an expert. She also runs a support group, and I know I think a charity devoted to uh, educating people on auto brewery. So she, and she does a lot of publications. So she's, she's been on, I think she's been on Dr. Oz and all kinds of TV shows too. Wow. What? So as a lawyer, mm -hmm. what would you do if you were meeting with a client? What would you do to try and determine whether they're somebody who would be a candidate to get tested for this? Well, um, we do in my office a pretty extensive intake questionnaire that asks a lot of medical questions because there are 
a lot of medical issues that can impact other aspects of a DWI investigation, like your physical ability to do field sobriety tests, um, certain conditions that could interfere with a breath test. So we've already been doing that for a long time, but I'm going to be adding some additional questions to my questionnaire that are geared towards identifying people who could potentially have issues with auto brewery that they may not even know. Okay. Um, now, I asked you at the beginning what it's like to hear about this as a lawyer. How, how do you think lawyers generally who practice in this area should be changing their practices? Because I can tell you like where I'm from, nobody's thinking about this. Well, I wasn't thinking about it until about a couple months ago. Um, I would, I'm going to be presenting on this topic at some legal seminars in the future. I think it's an important thing that needs to be taught to lawyers so that they know that they have clients that when they're telling them about what happened and what they drank or didn't drink, and then you're looking at their symptomology and you say to yourself, it's not adding up that depending on their physical situation, that ABS might be the answer to the question and that there are certain doctors around the country that you could send your client to to be tested to see if this is something they would be diagnosed with. It's not gonna be every person that comes into your office. It may not even be you know, one out of every 50, but I think it's important to recognize it exists and especially in the field of driving under the influence cases that we are, we have an obligation to know what the signs are in case we have a client that has it. Now, this is the time for you to get all the best plugs in. <laughs> what okay. kind of organizations could people join to learn more about this? Well, I would recommend um, attorneys be involved with the DUI Defense Lawyers Association, which is the International Bar Association that is just dedicated to educating lawyers in that all aspects of defending drivers accused of alcohol-related you know, crimes. Um, it's a great group. It's got over 800 members and across the U.S. and Canada. So that's a, that's a really good place to start. It's a really welcoming place for young lawyers to come in and and get almost a boot camp of information to go back if they're really just starting in this area. Even prosecutors who are coming out of the DA's office and have never defended cases before and they're gonna start doing that. It's a good education for them. And then we spend a lot of time educating public defenders. And there's scholarships for public defenders for seminars. That's correct. We have a separate entity called the DUI DLA Justice Foundation and they uh, award scholarships to all of our seminars and so we go through a whole process of um, application and, and the awarding and some of the scholarships don't just include tuition they also include travel expenses and hotel all right and how can people if they have a dui in i guess anywhere in texas get in touch with you well in texas it's a dwi oh, sorry <laughs> across the you know across the spectrum different states call it different things um, my website is Texas, spelled out, T-E-X-A-S-D-W-I-G-A-L.com. I'm pretty easy to find. Um, we have nine offices across the state. I run five of them, so I really handle Central and North Texas, which would be 
the Dallas-Fort Worth area and all surrounding counties, and then um, Austin and San Antonio. Okay. And do you have an office line, like a main line that people could call? Yes, it's 972-943-8500. Great. Well, thank you so much, Deandra. I'm going to have to get you back to talk more about everything because you're an expert in, I think you said last night, like a thousand things. I, <laughs> I think that's a gross underestimation. Um, but I really appreciate At least you 10 things, maybe. Yeah. I appreciate you taking the time. It's time for... The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. So, this week, the Ridiculous Driver of the Week comes to us courtesy of Sergeant Christensen uh, from the Vancouver Police Department. I think you should say, my friend, Sergeant Christensen. But he doesn't even follow me. No, hey, I'm Sergeant surprised. Christensen, or any of his friends or colleagues that work with him, tell him to follow me on Twitter. Maybe he follows the Driving Law podcast. I don't follow, I don't check that. I don't know who handles that Twitter he account. He follows 204 people. Um, I thought he followed me and then I looked and he didn't. He follows the Conservative Party. Um, lots of police officers. Um, anyway, Sergeant Christensen posts. A beautiful picture, and you should go check out his Twitter account to see it. It is at baldguy1363, uh, <laughs> which is his badge number. Yeah, I know People that's his badge like, number. Was it a bald guy? No, yeah. No. I was about to say <laughs> he's, got, he's got golden locks of hair. No. <laughs> um, so he posts a picture uh, with the caption, Stopped for insecure load. Further examination found flashlights being used as headlights and taillights no insurance, and failed to comply with previous inspection order. $1,920 in fines and vehicle removed from road. I think I've seen that vehicle. I think I've also seen the same two fellows in that vehicle driving an, uh, another older uh, pickup truck that was one of the Lincoln models, and it sure. beat to hell. Anyway, in the back of this pickup truck are some things. Paul, I'm going to show you the picture. You can probably say what those are. Sure. So, I mean, it's not like a lot of weight. Um, it looks like a whole lot of styrofoam insulation, but they appear to be maybe six foot by eight foot sheets. And um, let me see, uh, seven in a bundle or eight in a bundle, um, maybe slightly less, maybe six in a bundle, but there's three bundles there wrapped up in polyethylene and then there's some one by sixes that are sticking out the back and these things are huge sticking up standing vertically in the back of this truck yeah. but the best They're part than... is the tie down straps that they've used <clears throat> are holding the truck together well, it looks well, like. well they're wrapped around like the front bumper <laughs> yeah. let me get let me see the picture again okay. let me see the picture again uh, oh yeah there's multiple pictures but they're they're they're, they're wrapped around the so the one by sixes are being used to hold the the straps. insulation down. So it's wrapped around that, not wrapped around. It doesn't look like there's even there's just a smashed up rear tailgate, I guess, sticking out. Um, of course, there are no functioning tail lights. There's some flashlights that appear to be um. shining into the tail light um, to make the tail light look like it's working. Maybe I don't know, but it's taped on to the mm -hmm. tie down strap. And then the other tie-down straps are sort of loosely around the front, over the hood, and the front bumper. And the front, um, the front driver's side headlight, even better. 
the front driver's side headlight has, you know, one of those flashy bike lights yeah. that you mount on the front of a bike? That is, like, taped with electrical tape over the front of the headlight. It's not even working. It's just a flashy bike light. Yeah. Good enough for a bike. Yeah. So awesome. It actually looks like it's taped so it flashes into the light. Mm -hmm. So it maybe reflects back. So it looks like it. Okay, yeah, I can see. They, yeah, the bumper smashed up. I thought the strap went over it. Yeah, the strap doesn't go over it. The strap oh, sort of straps it's, up it's to the It's holding front. the truck together. Yep. <laughs> anyway, that was amazing. I can't believe that Sergeant Christensen gave him a ticket and not a medal for being the most ridiculous insecure load <laughs> oh it's just it's, it's just painful but the, 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 so yeah funny. the light on the front is hilarious uh... the light on the front is hilarious so um i would say that uh sergeant christensen is um is otherwise discreet um he pulls over hundreds of people uh he gives mm -hmm. lots and lots of tickets and he's you know he'll get you if you're doing anything that's that's uh, unlawful on the road but he's also um uh, reasonable, but uh, he posts these ones on his Twitter feed, and I tell you right now, don't follow him because he's not going to follow you back. No, um, apparently. But uh, you know, check unless you're a cop or a conservative. MP. Yeah, uh, but uh, check out his Twitter feed because it is pretty funny. Okay, this happened on I five in Washington uh, near Lakewood. If you've ever driven down. Um, from Vancouver into uh, into Seattle. This is near Lakewood, which closed all of the I-5 lanes for 13 hours. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's like the entire of Washington State must stop. Yes. <laughs> and this was the most weird constellation of unrelated events that you could possibly imagine involving shrimp, cheesecake and a hit and run oh my gosh <laughs> so let's hear it i-5 there is a uh semi-truck totally normal day semi-truck uh for cheesecake factory full of shrimp and cheesecake just shrimp and cheesecake catches fire um nobody knows why yet that it caught fire but a truck fire now ordinarily shrimp and cheesecake shrimp and cheesecake truck fire so ordinarily, of course, commuters can deal with a truck fire. You close the lane, you put them, you know, get the fire trucks out. No put big deal. Put the truck out. Yeah. yeah, put the truck out. But while emergency crews were there doing just that, an SUV comes barreling along through the closure and crashes into two fire trucks, a patrol car, a Department of Transportation vehicle, and a civilian vehicle that had stopped at the scene. Oh my goodness. Was so the SUV he, being driven by the Terminator or something? The like... SUV hits five vehicles, four of which were emergency vehicles oh that had their lights on that he should have seen. Um, rips off the door of the Department of Transportation vehicle. Um, and obviously the driver and uh, his passenger had serious injuries. Now, it gets better. How does this SUV come to smash into the scene of a burning semi-truck containing cheesecake and shrimp, shrimp and emergency vehicles everywhere? He's fleeing from sheriff's deputies who are doing a high-speed chase down I-5 into this other <laughs> traffic incident. They couldn't have radioed ahead to the... 
Uh, I guess not. Oh my goodness. Or I guess maybe so they it was were, the Terminator. It was like literally the yeah. This happens at four o'clock in the morning. So like, there's no traffic on I five at that time. Is there not? I mean, there's, I mean, there's traffic on I five the entire time. Yeah, I know, but it's got to be backed up if you if, if you have anything by go then, wrong. By then, yeah. And then, um, like, they reopen two lanes by 9 a.m. And eventually by noon, uh, the backups were 13 miles long. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's not funny. I feel sorry for those it poor is, people. You got to get is, to the airport. You got to get funny. somewhere. It's funny because that is, like, the weirdest series of events. Like, how often does a police chase crash into a burning truck full of cheesecake and shrimp? I'm just wondering, is, like, the shrimp on one side, the cheesecake on the other? Is this, like... Are they on pallets? Yeah, put on another pallet of shrimp. Do you have some room? Yeah, throw on a pallet of cheesecake. Yeah. And what lit fire? Was it the cheesecake or the shrimp? Or was it the fuel? I have no idea. Um, anyway, if maybe, you... Maybe cheesecake and shrimp, if you put them together, it's like dropping a, uh, a mentos in a Coke bottle. If you're listening to this with a um, computer in front of you, Google cheesecake shrimp crash. There are pictures. You will not be sorry. There's some pretty crazy photos. I will do that when I get home. We have a ridiculous driver who is being, uh, I guess there's a, there's a hunt for him or her. Uh, the police are looking to identify uh, the driver of a car that was seen near Kamloops and Grand Forks with a snowmobile on the roof. And it was a it was a Crown Vic and it looks like a former police Crown Vic. It's definitely a decommissioned police Crown Vic. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, and that's a great thing. Um, so BC RCMP traffic uh, has some questions for the driver of this car seen uh, in the Kamloops and Grand Forks area. First, how do you get it on the roof? Seriously, this is potentially dangerous if the roof can't support the load and securement is questionable. Call if you can identify. So they're trying to identify this vehicle. I'm sorry, there's nothing in this photo that tells you that that is not securely mounted on the roof. And I'm you just and thinking... I, you and I had talked about this. I suggested that perhaps it was an overloaded axles. No, it's a Crown Vic. And you look at the, at the way that it's riding, it looks like they might have an air suspension that's been elevated in the back if anything it's not sitting low mm -hmm. and a crown vic can take a lot a lot a lot of weight you know the snowmobile on the roof doesn't even look like it's doing anything to the roof what about insecure load it could be bolted down it could be screwed down i built a um a roof rack to hold my canoe on my old Volvo 240 i welded it up myself <laughs> and it grabbed onto the uh onto the um the rails on the uh, the, the water rain, rain rails on it, perfectly tight, beautiful, sat low. You couldn't even tell there was a roof rack on the thing. For those who are new to this podcast, you should know that Paul's Volvo is the one that got away. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I love that Volvo. Um, <laughs> and I still dream about it from time to time. And I felt that I betrayed it by having any car after that. But, um, the, but I'm looking at this, and this might be completely securely tied down. And so, you know, why call it into question? Now, it almost looks like the license plate's been blurred out by the police. It's hard to tell. It looks like it could just be a really bad capture. So, I don't know. Now, 
there are some questions like, I am curious how they got it up there. Forklift. Forklift would have done it, but how are you going to get it off at the other end? Another forklift. I mean, an old Crown Vic like this might be. You I mean, could probably ride it off. You at the could other probably end. ride it off. And the other thing is, it's white, uh, just like snow. So maybe it's, you know, just like driving yeah, onto the snow. You can't prove that car's not made out of snow. Exactly. <laughs> it might have been, the car might have been completely covered in snow when they drove it up there. It might have been driven up there by mistake, and then they thought, hey, this is not well, a bad idea. You know. <laughs> But I'm looking at it and just thinking to myself that I'm surprised um, in certain parts of the province. I mean, there's parts of the province, uh, British Columbia, if you're listening outside of British Columbia, where really you, you, you pretty much have to have a load of wood in the back of your truck at all times if you want to be cool and maybe a chainsaw there. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is the new thing is a snowmobile on the roof of your Crown Vic. Um, and uh, I kind of want to have a Crown Vic just drive with a snowmobile all year round on the roof. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't see why you shouldn't, other than you're going to get these types of tweets from the RCMP about you. But anyway, Ridiculous Driver of the Week, good on you. Uh, Looks like a Polaris. If you listen <laughs> to this podcast, please tell us, send us a direct message on Twitter or something and tell us, we won't reveal your identity, don't worry, um, how you got the snowmobile up there. Yeah, you can tell us. You can make it we privileged, know. and uh, you know, this yeah. is where this is where a lawyer comes in handy. You're under investigation. You need legal advice, but exactly. also tell us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm curious how he got it up there. I just want to know. There was, a, I mean, years ago, there was somebody who was transporting a old Jaguar, like an XK120 or XK140, on the roof of a Volvo, and they rolled it. How they got it on the roof of a Volvo, I don't know. It was a Volvo wagon, and they rolled it and destroyed. Of course, the the expensive jag so hmm, not always safe well i just see a lot of problems with that scenario more than this one the last thing in our podcast this week is uh us closing out with your big song our well, big song our big song, our big song. um the um you're the star we've been singing to you we've been singing to you on the podcast each time you, um, you thought it was usually, all a joke People. Usually, yeah, everybody thought it was, we were just having fun, but, you know, we are, um, we are fans of classic country, and uh, mm. we talked about the, well, Kyla, um, you are. I, I like yeah. some Dolly, and I like some um, exactly. Willie Nelson. Exactly. And that's about it. <laughs> um, Jolene. Jolene, Jolene, that's Jolene. That's not her best song. It's a good one. Um, anywho. So, of course, we have this lawyer told me not to talk to you trademark that we registered, and uh, we had some T-shirts that we gave away on to people on Twitter, and people were writing back to us saying you should make that into a country music song, or it sounds like a country music song, so we did it. Yeah. And uh, you broke my heart and left me there to die. Well, hey, I'm We gonna... wrote a country music song, and we, and we put it together, and we made a video, and uh, you can hear it. Yeah, so today... For its world podcast premiere, I think, <laughs> and in its first week premiere, uh, everybody, we're closing out the podcast, and uh, you can hear our song, uh, Lawyer Told Me Not to Talk to You, by Prairie Paul, Moxcar Kyla, and the Accutones. Enjoy. <laughs> You broke my heart and left me there to die You told me 3.14 wasn't pie 
You left me, took my money, my dog too. Lawyer told me not to talk to you. You called the law and now I'm here in jail. Paul said, don't worry, you'll get bail. I'm glad my lawyer knows just what to do. Lawyer told me not to talk to you. I knew that you were cheating while I can showed you tricks. The pictures are an iCloud, soon you'll get your mess. But I still love you, honey, how we did this, I don't know. You told them that I pushed you, I showed them my bruised toe. I drove my truck and crashed it in a ditch. You called the cops cause you're a mean old snitch. You said I'm drunk but I just got the flu. Lawyer told me not to talk to you. At this point, I think I've had enough. You're treating me so bad and so rough. The time has come that I'm a gonna sue. Lawyer told me not to talk to you. You broke my heart and left me there to die. You told me 3.14 wasn't five. You left me, took my money, my dog too. Lawyer told me not to talk to you. You left me, took my money, my dog too. Lawyer told me not to talk to you. Can't stand still. Like me some whiskey or some other swill. I woke up frustrated late last night. I thought a little in and out would be out of sight. I jumped in my caddy and I drove to town. There's a place by the tracks with the shades pulled down. You can get your in and out. The price is right. It's the friendliest place to relieve your plight. I need a little in and out. I need a little in and out. I need a little in and out. That's all I really need. I was ready to go, pants on the floor. I heard some rustling outside the door. Sheriff came in and drew his gun. I knew that ended my plan for fun. He took me downtown and booked me in. Immorality charge for my intended sin. Told me I'd face a judge in the morn. Gave me that look of deepest scorn. I need a little in and out. I need a little in and out. I need a little in and out. That's all I really need. I said, hey, don't I get a phone call? The sheriff pointed at the phone on the wall. I called my lawyer who does criminal law. Her advice was so good, glad I made that call. My criminal lawyer, she was there at eight. I told her how I got pinched on a date. She had me for a judge and out by ten. She also got bail for my buddy Len. I need a little in and out. I need a little in and out. I need a little in and out. That's all I really need.
I'm so darn glad I'm not rotten inside. That criminal lawyer, she saved my hide. If you're feeling that urge, that just won't chill. Grab your lawyer's number and a little blue pill. I need a little in and out. I need a little in and out. I need a little in and out. That's all I really need. Hey, I need a little in and out. I need a little in and out. I need a little in and out. That's all I really need.